listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. Before I open God's Word for you, uh, first of all, uh, some of you saw the beautiful flowers here in front of me. These are uh, in memory of Margaret Huff, Pam Johnson's mother, who passed away a number of days ago. Uh, who in many ways emulated a virtuous woman. Uh, But they are a reminder to us, as we all know, these flowers will quickly fade, and our lives are but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And we ought to invest those lives in eternity. And uh, most importantly, we need to invest our lives in coming to know Christ. And uh, I trust you will do that if you have not And that today's message will be uh, a window into what God is doing in this world. The second thing is uh, I've been asking you to pray for me, and I have so much appreciated many of you reaching out to me in reference to that. I do ask that this week uh, you would particularly pray. I have the opportunity to speak at my alma mater at Bob Jones University for their Bible conference And there are two particular times that I'm going to be speaking, so encourage you, if you don't mind, putting a reminder and pray for me. One will be on Wednesday at 10 in the morning, and then the other is Friday night at 7. So pray for me as I have an opportunity to open up to thousands of students and really think about all the potential that is there within that room. And uh, I ask that you would pray that God would guide me to the exact words to say and that I would in many ways, preach the word, and uh, appreciate you doing that for me this next week. Today, uh, I hold in my hands an apple seed. In fact, I brought two. One I was holding a few minutes ago, and I dropped it. I couldn't find it. I'm glad I had two, okay? (laughs) I hold in my hands an apple seed, okay? Within this tiny seed are the blueprints of an apple, I could plant this seed and within a few years really have an apple tree. And that apple tree, as it produces apples, can produce more apple trees and ultimately it could produce an orchard. It could also be the seed of thousands of orchards across the U.S. and across the world. I mean, when you consider all the benefits that come that, that can come from one little apple seed. Apple sauce, apple pie, apple juice, apple cider, apple fritters. Yep, yep, saving the best for last. Apple donuts. And of course, the list could go on. Add to all of that all the fun apples provide in the fall when you visit an orchard. Every year we do a senior apple trip. We don't pick apples. All we do is eat all morning, okay? The potential that's within one little apple seed is enormous. Today, we come to a very small portion of your Bible. A seed. Romans 3, verses 23 and 24. It's incredibly small in reference to your whole Bible. 
It's very concise. But within these two verses, you and I can find the blueprints that are infinitely more important than an apple seed. We have within these two verses, Romans 3, 23, and 24, the seed of the gospel, the essence of the gospel. In fact, Paul wrote this epistle to the Romans to herald this wonderful message of the gospel. And it is God's power to save. The gospel has the power to save your soul for all eternity. In fact, we know that Paul has spent really the first three chapters up to this point laying out our tremendous need for the gospel. Last week, we saw how Paul began to make a hinge in the book and to declare the gospel, and he began to do it with two glorious words, but now. Here it is. I'm laying it out in front of you. These next two verses that we have come to, because I've told you that we're going to slow down for a little bit because this is like packed with truth. The first verse of these two is one that many have grown up knowing as part of the Romans road. Four verses that people often go to to point people to the message of the gospel. And verse 23 is really all about man and man's brokenness. The second verse, one commentator said this, In all of Scripture, there is probably no verse which captures the essence of Christianity better than this one. Why? Because this verse is all about what God has done. Let me read to you the text. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, today, Lord, do not let us, those of us who have been to church most of our lives, allow a familiar text to produce coldness. Father, would you allow it to produce hope and joy And Father, I ask that you would even use this text today to give light to darkness. And that, Father, that you would call, if there is someone under the sound of my voice who has never truly had all their sins forgiven and experienced the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, may today be the day of their salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I break this text down, these two verses, by looking at some of the key words that are really pillars of major doctrines. When you study theology, you have a whole doctrine called the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. All of them are covered in these few verses. And so it's very simple outline. All I'm going to do is focus on some words. We're going to focus on the word sin, justified, grace, and redemption. 
And we could have expanded even more than that, but that's what we're going to focus on. In this, what we're going to see is we're going to see the seed of the gospel that if you would allow planted in your heart and allow it to germinate, can be giving you life for all eternity. Word number one, sinned. It's in verse 23. For all have sinned. This is a proper word for starting us out because this is where Paul has been, as I've said, since Romans 1 verse 18. Of course, the verse that precedes this, verse 22, says there is no distinction. And of course, he's talking about all the Jews and all the Gentiles, which includes everybody in this room. There is no distinction between any of us. All Jews and all Gentiles have sinned. We have all violated God's law, whether we had it written down in a mosaic, the Mosaic law. Maybe you grew up and you grew up under the Ten Commandments and you grew up just learning about the law of God, or whether you grew up in a pagan home and you didn't hear much of uh, God, but you knew because the Bible says that God has written his law within your heart. All of us have failed to live up to God's law. We've all, as used the little phrase sin, means to miss the mark. We've all trespassed. And if you're on trespass property, whether you saw do not trespass on the property or whether you didn't see the sign, you still trespassed. And all of us have, and we're all guilty before God. And it's for that reason that all of us need salvation. But our text doesn't stop there. It says, for all have sinned and that we are all falling short of God's glory. Now here it's interesting, if you were able to read the Greek that underlies your English language, the translations that you have, you would see that he moves from, you could say, somewhat of a past action. He says, for we are all presently falling short of God's glory. You and I do not give God the glory he deserves. We're all continuing to do this. This isn't simply unbelievers who fail of the glory of God. Those of you who are in this room who have known Christ for a long time and you've had your sins forgiven, even to this day, you are falling short of God's glory. You do, so often in your life, you fail to do this. Of course, this began with Adam and Eve in the garden. God created Adam to live in harmony with him and with him in the, in, in the, the main screen of his life, living in relationship with him. He was made in God's image and designed, designed to live it out and display it to the world. But what did Adam and Eve do? They sought to be like God and they sought to, in many ways, replace him. And this glory of God that you and I failed to give because of our sin and our continued actions will ultimately only be achieved in the future. I mean, Romans 5 verse 2 says this. It says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand 
And look what it says. And we rejoice in hope of the what? The glory of God. We are going to one day, if you know Christ, if you have had condemnation passed from you, you will be able to finally be a place where you're not falling short of God's glory. You and I have sinned and we are falling short of God's glory. And we know from other texts because of that, the wages or the payment for your sin, the second verse in the Romans road, the wages of sin is death. And that's why as we talked about these flowers in front of us, we all do fade as a leaf. We all are fading and it's coming quick. We're all under the cloud of death. Here, many of you would look at me as being midlife. But I tell you, every day I live, I realize how quickly life is going. I love reading history, and most of the history I read, all the people I read about are dead. And guess what? You're not going to escape it if the Lord tarries. You may think you're Superman right now, but because of your sin, it is appointed unto you to die. All of you have a date with death, and you are not promised till the end of this service. So you better prepare for it. You can't escape it, but also, as we will find, there isn't just death and nothing. The wages of sin is death, and the Bible says in Revelation, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And there is an ultimate punishment for sin, and it is a place called hell. We're not going to deal with that today, but it is a very real reality. And it is critical for you to understand the gospel, to understand that every human being has that same true predicament in their life. You've sinned and you've fallen short of God's glory. And we do this all the time. I mean, I couldn't help as we were preaching through Romans 1, how you and I replace the glory of God, living in relationship with him, with other things, even good things that are part of his creation. We are such idle factories, as one person said. We can put really good things as being more important than him. If you have never learned how to have all of your sins forgiven, you must. And this text lays it out. But for those of you who have responded, you must continue to realize the bent of your life. You are falling short of the glory of God. And we are people who so often see the sin in other people, but we often don't see it in ourselves. And I think it's good sometimes for you to have people who point out sin in your life. That's why God gave you a spouse if you're married, okay? That's why you have kids, okay? We learn our brokenness, and you ought to be thankful if someone is bold enough to point out your own sin. I'm very thankful. I mean, this isn't a sin, but when, let's say, my tire's going flat and someone pulls up beside me and says, hey, your tire's going flat. It's not like, oh, you're so critical. I can't believe you. No. 
You and I are sinners and we're bent that way. And when you see your sin, you know what you do? When you see your brokenness, you look for a solution. And there is only one solution for sin. And that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We'll get to that answer. It's not far away. It's in verse 24. Okay? It's God. And that's why we don't stop with verse 23. I couldn't just like, hey, preach to you, Romans 3, 23. You're all sinned. You're falling short. No, we got to get to 4, 24. And that brings us to our first word in verse 24. So we looked at sin. And now let's look at justified. What is this? Look what it says in verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Now here I got to stop. And I've got to caution some thinking. Some of you said, hey, since all have sinned, does that mean that all will be justified? Because isn't, isn't this like referring back to the all again? If you would say that, that would be what some people call universalism, that everyone will be saved. Everyone has sinned, everyone will be saved at the end. That is not what this text is saying. The participle, which is what, it's what justified is, uh, the participle justify does refer to the previous verbs in verse 23, but it follows the teaching and the context of everything that has happened prior to this. And what he's doing and what he's been trying to communicate is that all who place their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. All of you who do that, all can be justified. It's not that everybody will be justified. It's that anyone can who turn to him by faith. So what is this justification? I've sinned, but I need to understand justification. Well, uh, a famous modern theologian, Wayne Grudem, said this about justification. He says, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be righteous in his sight. That's what justification is. You and I, our records were littered with offenses, littered with them. But this is to have it all cleared up and Jesus' righteousness, his perfect righteousness, imputed to our account. Now let me just tell you, this is not a process. So many people in this world, in this community, in this town, think that justification is through a process that I have to go through and earn and work off. Now, Paul has spent two chapters telling you it's not by works of righteousness. But there are churches in this town that will tell you justification is through this process. It is not a process. It is a point in time. It is an event. And that is why Martin Luther, when he came to understand this truth, when he understood that it was not him, he he was so burdened about, God, how could I stand before you justified? 
What do I have to do? And he he was so bothered by this. And as he began to explore the scriptures, he realized that justification is not by me trying to provide my own righteousness and work my way into this process to him approving me. It is an event that happens when I place my faith in the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, each month uh, I get my credit card bill and it shows all my offenses <laughs> to Publix, to Kroger, to QT, okay, to Chipotle, okay. I got all these offenses that are just up against me. And at the end, they got this amount. And let me just say, they are so accurate, aren't they? They know, they know, because I'm one of those crazy guys who keeps all my receipts, checks it, does all of that, and, and they just got it right. It is very rare in the almost 24 years of being married and having kind of credit that they messed something up and I had to call them. You and I, we have all these offenses against us, but when I decide, and I'm one of those guys, and I hope you get into the habit of, I pay it off every month. Okay, I just use it to get the points, okay, to uh, keep track of everything. But then at the end of the month, I pay it off. And it says like paid in full. And it's done. And then I got notifications. You've paid your bill, okay? And it happens at a point in time. Paid in full. How can you have your entire credit of all your past sins, present sins, future sins dealt with once and for all in an event. How does that happen? Is it you have to go out and work and and, and do all of this? Well, the text says in our next word, how you and I are to be justified. And notice what the text says. He says this, and are justified by his what? Grace. As a what? Gift. Those two go together. You are saved by God's grace as a gift. Grace is this. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward you. It is not any of your own righteousness or your works. Otherwise, you know what? It, would, it wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be a gift. It would be a payment. Okay, if you are planning to when you stand before God to offer up your, as I talked about last week, your monopoly money, it will get you no day in heaven because salvation and justification is something that none of us can do on our own. For by grace are you saved through what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is what? The gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should what? Boast. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to be the one, hey, I was one of those smart ones who learned about Jesus, and I actually took him up on the offer. 
okay? You're not going to be able to boast that way. Because in fact, you know what you would have done? You rejected him. You turned. And you know what? God opened your eyes to the gospel and said, let there be what? Let there be light. You are saved by grace as a gift. In fact, Jesus says to a crowd, he says, no one can come to me. You can't come to Jesus except the Father which has sent me, what? Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is offered as a gift. Okay, our gifts paid for? Okay, the person who's buying the gift, yes, he pays for it. But no, it is, er- it is not, you could say, earned. It is to be received. And that's what this verse talks about. This is talking about why Jesus came. It says this, Jesus came unto his own. He came to his own people. He came to his own planet. He came to his own festivals. He came to his own city of Jerusalem. He came to all of these and his own people, the Israelites, did not receive him. But listen to what the text says. But to all who did receive him, who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And notice this last part of the text. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of your own will, but of what? But of God. That is grace. What type of meritorious works Okay, we talked about this now. This is a number of months ago. What kind of meritorious works could the thief on the cross offer? Okay, here he is, a thief being crucified beside Jesus. And they're mocking at some point, And all of a sudden, this thief realizes, I'm done for. I mean, did he have time to work it off? Did he, did he observe a mass? Did he, uh, did he do any special things that was going on? No, all he could do was this. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And inside there was this. We know it was faith. He looked. And what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in what? paradise. You can't offer anything of your own works. It is by grace and we know it is through faith. It is received by faith. It's where you turn your back on your own and sometimes I've brought chairs out or I've I've pulled some and we don't have a whole lot back there but you can rely on your own chair Or you can look at the chair of Jesus. And you know what type of faith this is? This is a sitting down type of faith. And what I mean by that is it's not you trying to work. It's where you finally rest in what Jesus did for you. And we'll talk about faith the rest of, I mean, he's going to talk about faith a whole lot more in the days ahead. But salvation is by grace through faith. It's a gift How could something like this happen? Well, the final word is the reason, and that's the word redemption. That term means to buy back. 
In a general sense, okay, if someone was to redeem you, uh, most generally it means to deliver you, to save you, to rescue you. Of course, the exodus from Egypt is a beautiful picture of God's redemption. He took his nation of Israel who was in bondage and he rescues them. But in the Greco-Roman world for which uh, Paul is writing and to whom he's interacting with, a ransom was often paid to get a person maybe out of debt or possibly it was to redeem a slave at the slave market from, from bondage. Something had to be paid. Someone had to redeem you. And the price that was paid is at the end of the verse, it says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The price that was paid for you to be redeemed was none other than the death of God's son. And that's why in that song, His Robes for Mine, where it says, God estranged from who? From God. It is very rare you talk about the, du- the you could say you split up the Trinity because God is one. But in many ways within this beautiful Godhead, God the Father was estranged from God the Son and he took, all, took the wrath on him, Jesus, so that he could be your sinless substitute. It was the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that made all of this possible. Now, this was not a ransom that was somehow paid to Satan because we didn't owe Satan anything. But it was to God, the judge. That's who Jesus was. Jesus' name was also what? Emmanuel, which meant God with us. Jesus was God with us. And he lived his entire life presenting who he was to this world. But he was waiting for the time. Because if you remember, he keeps saying this, my time has not yet what? Come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then he gets to the last week. And then the last day. And he says what? My time is what? My time has come for me to give my life And you know what he was? He was the Lamb of God. He was the price that was paid, the blood that was spilt. You know, we've seen exchanges in our time. Most recently, in our society, there was the big exchange between the U.S. and Russia when it came to Brittany Griner and what they would call and label the merchant of death. And they were exchanging these two to, you could say, redeem them. Both of them, just like you and just like me, sinners. And it's easy for us to look at them, oh, they are bad sinners, or they're this or that. You and I, no human blood, no strictly human blood, could redeem you. It had to be the blood of the God-man. Fully God, fully man. This redemption was paid by him, and it's so much more than that little exchange. 
It is a once-for-all transaction that happens to deliver us for good. We were sinners. That payment was paid by Jesus Christ in full. It was grace. It was a gift. It was all through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Going back to the verse that Mark shared earlier in the service, in 1 Peter 1, it says this, knowing that you were ransomed. There's the word associated with redeemed. You are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but here it is, but with the precious blood of Christ. Last week, we took of the Lord's table and we remembered that through taking the cup, it wasn't that blood or that juice that saved us. It was the precious blood of Christ that he spilt that day. Like that of the lamb without blemish and spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So what do you have to do? You have to receive it by faith. That's the gospel. If you would simply understand sinned, justified, grace, redemption, those are the gospel in seed form. So what? So what does that mean for you and me? What's the importance of these truths as I go through the rest of my life this week? Well, number one, these truths will help you understand who you are. Knowing your sinful tendencies and the problem that you deal with until you see glory. You're a sinner. You're going to be prone to do the wrong thing. You ought to be someone who is constantly evaluating what has replaced God in my life. Even as believers, as I said, we're idol factories, and what we have to continue to do is we have to continue to repent. Now, my life began a number of years ago, my spiritual life, when I repented for the first time. And at that very time, in that very moment where I repented and believed, I was justified. But you know what that has led me to? That has led me to live now a life of continual repentance, if, if you're not coming to church on a regular Sunday and you're continuing to repent, have you ever truly repented? Those who have repented will keep repenting, but it was all done, like I told you, I think it was sometime between 8 and 16, somewhere around there that I finally was justified. I can't pinpoint where it was, but I know it happened because the seed of that in my life is continuing to flourish. But you know what it should do? If you truly have done that, it should be evident through a life of sanctification. You are wanting to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The second thing I would just say is, if you're here today and you want to know how you can have that paid in full on your account, if you want to become righteous in God's side because you realize that you don't have the funds to do it, let me tell you what you have to do. You have to turn from yourself and you call on Jesus to be your savior. And as we read, as, as Mark read a few moments ago, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Did you know that you can leave today 
having turned to Jesus to be the savior of your soul, and you can know that your slate is clean from sin. You ought to do that. Do it today if you haven't. There's nothing more important. Yes, the Super Bowl's tonight. Yes, lunch is coming. But don't let those distract you. That is the most important thing you could ever think about. And then, so what? Here's the third reason. Worship him. God gave you this deliverance through Jesus Christ. You know what it demands? It demands your praise. It demands you just give it all to him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, for the love of Christ constrains me. That if we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know what your whole life should be? It should all be about worshiping him. It's all his. Everything I own, everything in my bank account, it's his. My kids are his. My spouse is his. My house is his. Everything is his. And I'm just the steward of it. And I just want to worship him with my life. That is what life is about. When you understand the gospel, he beseeches you by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I'll tell you this, so often people think that the moment they give their lives to Jesus Christ, it's like chains come on. It's like, okay, life's not going to be good anymore. It's going to be horrible. But you know what? It's the exact opposite. It's all the chains fall off. And you realize that is what you were that is what you were created to do, to live in, right, live in harmony with God. And the way you find that harmony is through God's son, Jesus Christ. So today, think about the power of a little apple seed. How this little apple seed can have incredible significance in growing many, many orchards. But think more importantly of the gospel seed. What must happen with that gospel seed? You remember Jesus? He said this, a sower went out to sow. And some of those seeds fell. And what did they do? What happened? The birds snatched them. And almost a symbol of Satan would come in and distract. Hey, big game tonight. We got to get those wings on the, on the grill. Okay. Or it could be, Uh, this or that and and get you thinking about all these other things rather than the most important thing. Or it was rocky ground where there's no depth and the sun scorched it. And you just just continue to go through life and you didn't grab a hold of the truths or the thorns where the cares of this life and all the different things choked out the growth that should have happened. But what should happen I hope that you would be a soil that the gospel is planted. And what will it produce? It will produce fruit. And your whole life will begin to show the fruit of someone who has come to Jesus Christ. Will you be, okay, will you accept that seed into the soil of your life and believe in Jesus Christ? And then finally, Lebanon Baptist Church you have countless opportunities to plant the seed of the gospel. Are you doing it? 
How often have you planted the seed of the gospel in other people's life? Let me tell you, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully, he promises, shall reap also bountifully. So you know what? Let's start getting the seed out. And you can begin with Romans 3, 23, and 24. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.